Welcome to season two of Classical Education, a podcast for those who believe in rediscovering the art of asking questions, engaging in conversation, and attending to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. Adrian Fries and Trey Bailey invite you to join them on a journey in pursuit of the true, the good, and the beautiful as we participate in the great conversation and listen to the many voices coming from the world of classical education. We are honored, Trey and I are honored today to have a very special guest, Richard Ferrier. And uh, we met him through the Facebook Classical Education Group and have been so um, blessed by many of his wise comments and um, helpful posts and decided we wanted to get to know him better. And, and we're really excited because I think he brings many years of experience in classical education to the discussion. Um, and we just want to get to know him along with you, introducing the whole Facebook page to him. So when you see his posts on the uh, Classical Ed Facebook page, pay attention because Richard has a lot of wise words to share. And so I'd like to start by asking Richard to share um, his background. He's got extensive background in education, and we're really excited uh, to introduce you to him. Take it away, Richard. Thank, thank you very much. Well, I don't, I, I don't want to spend 10 minutes on my past. I'm 73 years old, so I've got a bit of a past. Um, but let's see. Let me let me say this. I was educated at, at the uh, in the K through 12 system in, in Sacramento, California, in the 50s and 60s, and it was very good. Um, in my high school, you could take Latin, Russian, French, German, and Spanish. That's how good it was. Mm -hmm, <laughs> um, just a public school in a mid-sized city. Uh, well, it was a state capital. Uh, uh, anyway, so that was my uh, original uh, K through 12 education. Then I went to St. John's College, Annapolis. Uh, graduated from there, and um, from and uh, uh, overlapped some for reasons uh, that I won't go into. I did my senior year in two years uh, because I was teaching at a K through 12 school, uh, key school, private school in Hillsmere Shores, uh, Maryland, near St. John's. Uh, it, I taught there for five years. Um, and, uh, about, about subjects that we want to chat about in this podcast, uh, maybe get a sense of, uh, of what I might be willing to do for you. <laughs> I taught physics, sixth grade and 10th grade, algebra, uh, geography, uh, Greek to seventh graders, uh, English literature, um, American literature too, um, and, uh, and uh, acted in and, and directed in various plays. Um, uh, uh, HMS Pinafore, Aristophanes Clouds, uh, uh, the French version of Antigone, Jean-Anouis Antigone, um, uh, and I wrote the, uh, they call it the book in the theater trade. I wrote the book for a musical, uh, adaptation of, uh, Peter S. Beagle's, um, The Last Unicorn. Um, uh, then I went to graduate school. I got a PhD in the history of science, in particular, the history of mathematics, 
uh, I got married. We started to have a bunch of kids. I have eight now. Uh, eight, that's it. I'm 73. <laughs> my, wife is, boy, my wife is 60, what, eight, I guess. Um, and we met at St. John's. Uh, and um, uh, then uh, the, the, uh, uh, the thesis, by the way, was on the, 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 the real inventor of algebra is the 16th century mathematicians, Francois Villette. You might have read him at St. John's. Um, he's been in and out of the curriculum there. Uh, then I came to, came to Thomas Aquinas College, and uh, uh, a word about that, it is absolutely classical education. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's Latin, uh, mathematics, starting with Euclid and going up to Einstein, uh, the natural sciences, starting with the ob observation of biological matters, uh, uh, astronomy, music, I've taught music, uh, singing a choir, uh, and have performed uh, in plays where you have to sing. Uh, and we do plays, have done plays, I don't know, 10 maybe, uh, at our house on a brick patio we have. I've, I've uh, played Julius Caesar and uh, the king in uh, Macbeth, Duncan. And th that's because I'm mm -hmm. older, see, and they, they cast me as the old guy who gets killed. <laughs> um, I also have done the Duke Senior uh, in uh, As You Like It, and uh, the plays we do have all uh, have done are all Shakespeare. Um, so, um, oh yeah, well, and, and then I have a lifelong interest in American history and civics, and that plays into our textbook, which uh, people can still buy on Amazon, but it's going to be published more broadly. Um, I say our; it's Andrew Seeley and, and myself are the co-authors. Uh, it's going to be published more broadly by uh, Tan Books, um, mm -hmm. St. Benedict Press, and I've turned it into a book for adults. It, it's it's a it's a textbook, right? Uh, I turned it into a general book for uh, everyone, and that's going to be published by St. Augustine Press this spring. So there you go. That's something about me. That's wonderful. I I'm so excited. You gave us, I think, a lot of things that we're both probably feeling like. We have about yeah. 10,000 questions we could ask you right now. Fire um, away. I think I'd like to start with asking, um, with, with that extensive background, um, coming out of uh, California public schools um, back when they were still pretty good, um, and then going through these wonderful classical programs in college, what, wh how would you define the purpose of education and how have all these experiences affected your teaching? The purpose of education as a whole, uh, from from little children to graduate school, is is to um, strengthen the soul so that one loves and seeks and finds some of the truth concerning the things that are central to human life. Um, that's it. That's that's what it's for. Mm -hmm. Now there's a set. Well, and I should say one more thing though. Um, well, put it here. The way we put it at St. John's, uh, in our motto, <laughs> is to make free men, make free human beings. The truth shall set you free. Um, right. uh, and um, now the free man is not only free with respect to his thinking about speculative matters, 
people don't like that word or they don't understand it. I'm not talking about the stock market. <laughs> I'm talking about that you see, specto, spectare, look at, <laughs> contemplate um, the things that are worth knowing for their own sake. But there's another aspect of freedom, particularly in a free society, and that is loving and knowing your republic mm -hmm. so that you can be, you take your part as a free human being in the common life of the community that you belong to. So it's in a way it's to make the, the free thinker and the free citizen. That That's right. Um, how, how, okay. So St. John's, that's great. I love, I love their definition to help um, set people free. Um, how is that different or similar to say the purpose of education as defined by Thomas Aquinas university? It's a college, by the way, not university. Mm -hmm. Okay, Thomas thank Aquinas you. College. Well, it's pretty much the same, with the with the exception. I mean, we we, we are indebted to St. John's. Mm -hmm. Our founders took some of their uh, original thought from uh, Mortimer Adler and and the people at St. John's whom they admired, um, and the people they admired were my teachers. Uh, that's uh, our founders. There are only uh, two of them alive now. There were four principal ones. Um, but the, the difference is that we are um, um, proudly, happily, without apology, um, Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, and so in our conversations in class, we're free to refer to um, Holy Scripture and some of the teachings of the Catholic Church uh, as relevant to the discussion. So, for example, you read uh, Chaucer, you read The Wife of Bath's Tale, um, you can bring into it Adam and Eve in Genesis, what St. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, um, the most recent uh, writing on that, on, on the dignity of women by Pope John Paul II. Uh, now, we try not to bring things they haven't read very much, so the, the papal document we wouldn't talk about too much but but uh, but the wife of bath you know that's one of the books we assign um and mm. the way dante talks about beatrice mm -hmm. benedict uh i don't know it's bernard i think in um in, in the uh divine comedy uh, mm. reveres and thinks about the virgin mm -hmm. mary right that comes up one of the things about saint john's and thomas aquinas college is by having a, a single set curriculum, you have a common background right. of, of things that you've talked about. You haven't agreed about everything in all of them, but but you have a shared heritage. That's right. That's how the University of Dallas core program is as well. I was I worked at UD uh, for the last couple of years, and the core program is very similar. All of the everybody takes the same classes, and uh, so they do. They have that commonality that. Uh, really unifies and brings community to the whole campus. Yeah, it really does. And I, I and uh, and I think uh, I saw someone saying, quoting John Senior, saying that these things haven't succeeded. I beg to differ. We just started a new campus. <laughs> We're going to have twice the students next year that we had, um, say, five years ago when you add the two campuses together. Um, and and you people <laughs> are 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 um, sowing the seed. You're, you're the uh, Johnny and Joan apple seed for, for mm. classical learning um, 
in the K through 12 world and, and conversations about classical learning in college and graduate school too. Right. I really admire the work that's, you're doing. That's very oh, kind. Thank you. <laughs> that's very kind of you to say, Richard. Um, and part of the conversation, um, I think uh, going back to this idea of, of making free men, um, I think is, is reminding uh, folks uh, who, are, who are desirous of pursuing an education of the, uh, the differences and the relationship between uh, the liberal arts and the servile arts. Yes. So I wonder if you could take some time to, to perhaps um, explain the difference between those and, and talk about how um, a program like that at St. John's or any of these other liberal arts colleges um, will actually prepare you for um, a career in the servile arts um, in ways that um, perhaps contemporary students are not being prepared otherwise. Yeah, let's call the servile arts the useful arts. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. uh, well, all right, the, the, the liberal arts are those that form the mind um, or feed the mind, um, strengthen the mind in, um, and, and the heart uh, in the um, fundamental ways human beings encounter God's creation. Um, uh, or for those who don't believe, the wonderful world of nature that surrounds us. Um, uh, they, they enable you to um, see it more clearly. That's obvious in the natural sciences. Uh, uh, but it's also the case that mathematics is not just a tool. The things in mathematics are truths, and 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 they are wonderful. Um, one of the things I'd advise people who are trying to do the kind of work you're doing—I mean, you're, all the people who listen to this kind of podcast—is um, take delight in mathematics and then show it to the people you're trying to teach. Uh, the the the, tr the truth not only frees you; it pleases you. <laughs> yes, yes. You know what? I want to interrupt and say yeah. something here because I think this is really, really important to the conversation. One of the um, concerns that I have in the whole classical education movement is the use of the word tools. Yeah. And I love that you said math is a, is a truth, not just a tool. Yes. And I think that's an emphasis that is missing <clears throat> in a lot of um, the classical ed movement. And to, to take it and look at the delight in math and in learning math and for teachers who are new to classical teaching um, that love math and are teaching math um, to encourage them, like what you're saying, that that you're, you're awakening wonder and delight in learning about the beauty and the truth in math and not looking at math as a tool. Um, I think that's a really important difference in how we teach math classically versus how we teach math in a regular school. I think that's really right. I couldn't agree with you more. <clears throat> Shall yeah. we go, go to the other three liberal arts? Well, actually, we didn't mention them. The, the, in, in the liberal arts, there are two mathematical ones, arithmetic and geometry. Now, this is what you find in, um, uh, well, it's, uh, who is it? John of um, Salisbury, I think, a medieval writer who, who comes up with those four they're called the quadrivium for um, mathematical arts, arithmetic, geometry. And then the other two will surprise people as being mathematical, right? Oh, boy, and won't. Uh, astronomy. Um, but it's astronomy as, um, how shall I say it? 
from the way it looks uh, in the heavens as the dance of the stars, which turns out to be something you can model and number. Um, uh, and, and so it's, uh, you might put it this way, particularly because you measure it, you use numbers in astronomy, um, you know, uh, how many degrees from the equinox is such and such a star um, in um, longitude, that kind of thing. Well, that's a measurement. Uh, so astronomy, you might call um, arithmetic dancing. I, I love that. And, and I, and that's, that, that is very close to like the medieval way of, of looking at astronomy and the cosmos as a, as a entity of beauty that expresses liturgical truth and beauty to us. I think um, you're, you're, you're definitely defining it in a way that is what I'd like to see recovered in the classical education movement. I think it's a really important um, element to the whole seven liberal arts that is is lacking um, today. I'd like to see more people like you stand up and show how how to bring this kind of truth and delight into the classroom for K-12 education. Um, but yeah, go ahead and keep going about the quadrivalent. All right, well, then I'll add, <laughs> add another way of looking at astronomy is it's geometry dancing, or right. put it this way, it's geometry in motion. Um, yeah. Um, how does it go? Um, oh, there's a hymn. You do, it's to the ash grove, and it has in it, the stars in their courses obediently shine. Um, uh, so you might call it geometry in motion. Mm -hmm. And then music. Music. <laughs> music mm -hmm. is vibrations. <laughs> and you can count them. Plus, when you sing it, by the way, I, I have a strong opinion about singing. Everyone should sing. Almost no one is really um, right. deaf to pitch. They think they are. Uh, let me tell you a little story about that. Very simple. At St. John's College, when I went there in 1965 as a freshman, uh, and I think they still do it, they have a freshman chorus. What is freshman chorus? The whole freshman class. There, It was about 100 and what, 10, 20 students, I guess, my year, fit into a room called the great hall. And in this great hall, one of the tutors sits down at the piano and, and uh, assigns you to your part in vocal music, bass, tenor, alto, soprano. <laughs> and I thought I couldn't sing. So, and they force you to, you know, you have to, you have to go, it's a required class, up you go, you stand by the piano, tutor plunks a key and says, sing that, you know, law, whatever it was. <laughs> and then he punched with another one. Oh, whatever. <laughs> and then, and then uh, if you know your Dante, there's a place where, where um, in hell, where, where one of the uh, local citizens, <laughs> Minos, curls his tail, the number of circles you're mm. going to go down to the bottom. <laughs> and this was like standing before Minos. He would look at you after he said that. And then he would say to me, he said to me, you're a base. <laughs> and I felt I'd been <laughs> Sent to the inferno, <laughs> but yeah, but by the end of the freshman year, we were singing um, things from the Bach B minor Mass and and in parts, and um, and I and I it turned out I had a good voice. Uh, I was just afraid 
mm-hmm. or or more likely proud, didn't want to be embarrassed. That's the way to put it. Boy, does that ever happen to boys. <laughs> but mm-hmm. Our voices mm-hmm. change more. Um, here's one little tip. If you're teaching boys, uh, don't panic when they're in the ninth grade <laughs> about their posting or in the air, whenever it happens. <laughs> but on the other side, they'll come out and sound like angels. <laughs> the boys, of course, the little ones already sound like angels. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we, we start every every morning um, after we do some uh, some physical exercising. Uh, I teach middle school boys, and I only have eight students in the whole school. And so we can do some things with them that, uh, uh, as you've just demonstrated, can also be done at a larger scale. What did you say, your whole freshman class yeah. was singing together? Uh, but we'll gather on the piano, and uh, we'll sing a hymn before we go to class. And I, I could say with some confidence that I can probably predict with some with some degree of um, accuracy, how the day is going to go based on how they sing first thing in the morning. Um, there's something about that that sort of, um, uh, no pun intended, but sort of sets the tone for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. We um, we say a prayer before class, but in recent years, we've, we've begun to shift over to singing it. Um, it's a chant, it's a very simple tune that we do. Um, by the way, that that goes over to the home as well. Um, uh, if you have a large enough family, um, you can sing in parts, even with uh, one or two children. Parents and the child or children can sing. Um, I was in the hospital four Christmases ago. Is that right? Five. Um, I had a... Um, quadruple bypass surgery, um, you know, open heart surgery. And um, my kids, five of them, I think, were able to visit me. Uh, There's a bit spread out over the country. And they had learned, I'm going to cry. They had learned in parts a beautiful, beautiful Marian hymn. Um, I think it was Austrian. Uh, um, and sang it for me. And we sang other things, too. Um, it was the best Christmas Eve I've ever had. Mm. Um, and, we, and we used to host a, a, a 12-night party, Epiphany, right? And, and we'd, 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 we'd have books for them. The guests would sing. People can sing, and when they do, it lifts the heart and mind. I, I just can't say that passionately enough. Yeah. Yeah. So true, Adrian. I wonder. I wonder uh, if you are familiar, and, and perhaps Richard, you've heard of. Uh, there's a there's a Catholic boys' school. I want to say somewhere in Pennsylvania. Is it Gregory the Great? Oh yeah, I get students I think from that's there. What it's called. Oh what I, I well um, I, I wonder um, you know all all of them uh, do quite a bit of singing. In fact, they have a, a series of YouTube videos where you can find yeah. um. Uh, their boys singing, um, and and I, I think I stumbled upon it uh, when I was just looking for a list of of songs to sing with with boys, um, teaching at an all boys school, as I do, and um, I seem to remember, and I don't know if I read this somewhere on their site or if I heard it in an interview with their headmaster, um, but one of the 
one of the things that he talks to his boys about when they're learning songs, um, teaching them to sing together and for one another, um, is he, he asks them, you know, what they would want to sing together if they were to come back together for a reunion or, um, more pointedly, um, at the funeral of, of one of their, their fellow students. And, and I think that putting it in those terms, um, you know, really, uh, really speaks to, I think, something you were getting to, you know, when you were in a moment of, of weakness and uh, your family gathered around you, to be able to sing with you um, just creates a, a bond and a, a resonance with, with the shared humanity you have together as a family that, that, that really only happens in song. And so to have a shared hymnal, as it were, and to be able to come together at any moment and at various times um, sing hymns appropriate for the moment um, or folk songs or songs of rejoicing. I mean, any, any number of different songs um, I, I, think is, I think is quite right. And sadly, um, many students are um, in so many ways denied that birthright, as it were. You know, that was that was part of the public school, at least up to the sixth grade um, when I was a boy. Um, I'd like to I'd like to segue from here uh, uh, to um, the application of that or the what shows up in civic education. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we, we have a smaller hymnal, um, but but I bet you know it by heart. America the Beautiful, Star Spangled Banner, My Country Tis of Thee. Yeah. Um, uh, you, ought, you ought also to know um, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, um, um, the Battle Cry of Freedom, and the, and the Revolutionary War Hymn, uh, Chester, which I suspect you don't know, do you? It starts, want me to sing a little? <laughs> I don't know let, it either. Let tyrants shake. Their iron rod and slavery clanker galling chain. We'll fear them not. We he truck a cust in God, New England's God forever reigns. There you go. <laughs> now notice Thank you. Uh, that's an American Revolutionary War hymn, and um, they just see their their cause entirely tied up with God mm. um, and they're, they're for, for they're for freedom they talk about slavery and their, their chain um, and um, and trusting in God um, and that's our Protestant brothers and sisters that are singing that mm -hmm. in the John Adams uh, bio video uh, that uh, it's a very good um, I, I don't watch a lot, a lot hardly any uh, Video and television. Video is so. What do I what call it? Well, print is dense in information. Video is slow and 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 and. What's the opposite of dense? Rare. That makes it sound good, but <laughs> not very packed with information. Mm -hmm. it, it goes too slowly. Shallow. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of shallow. Yeah. Now there are things that are really worth seeing. Uh, I'm thinking now of American history. Um, the Gettysburg movie um, is wonderful. Um, 
and so and so is that John Adams uh, bio, uh, biography, and he sings that in a uh, the actor does in a New England church in, in a, a Congregationalist church uh, when they're deciding whether to um, really revolt, mm-hmm. whether, whether to declare independence. People around him are singing it, and he's not singing it. <laughs> Abigail kind of pokes him. <laughs> Adams Adams was cautious, you know, but uh, his wife, who was a pepper pot <laughs> in the movie anyway, gets him to sing it. It's a moving moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, now, I think there yeah. can be moments in, in, in film that, that that can stick with a person. And I, I do wonder, though, because of the nature of, of that medium and how um, students interact with it uh, so constantly, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I wonder if it doesn't have the same effect as it had um, on me, let's say, as, as a young student, you know, when the teacher would, would you know, cart in the television with the-, with the I with remember the, that. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, th- this was the VHS play. This was this was an exciting moment. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it was and, the big reel-to-reel projectors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now and, me and, too. And, that. and so, <laughs> <laughs> um, I did um, sort of with 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 those memories in mind. Um, when I was uh, teaching, um, we were, we were studying the Civil War uh, with my middle school boys. And I thought, well, I certainly have to show them at least one episode of the uh, the Ken Burns documentary. It's just such a masterful documentary. Um, and of course, they were thrilled that we were watching a movie. But um, I can tell you that um, comparing them watching of that, it was two days worth of watching the film. Um, comparing that to the things that we read and then narrated. Yeah. Um, they remembered almost none of the film. It kind of shocked me uh, how little of the film they th- stuck with them. Let me back that up with a personal anecdote, kind of. Um, as I say, I'm 73. So um, the, uh, what, uh, Gettysburg was in uh, 1863. So the uh, centennial of it was 1963. I'm 15 years old in 1963, and a voracious reader, right? So I have been reading about the Civil War from the, I don't know what, 10, you know? Um, Not constantly. I didn't read much about it at St. John's, but on and off, the lifetime interest. I also play war games, board games. The very first high-quality board games were of the Battle of Gettysburg, the company Avalon Hill put out two of them, um, and I and I bought them. I, I went to the store, poured over them like a kid would try candy. Looked at the rules, looked at the counters, the whole thing. Right. I saw the Ken Burns uh, Civil War series too, um, and um, I don't mean to boast uh, or be a sourpuss, but I, I had the following feeling. I thought, any everything he's treated. Is so inadequate compared to what I got from reading in this lifetime of reading. Wow! You know? mm. I, I mean, looking at me, look at him doing the Battle of Antietam, and I think, oh yeah, but you should have paid more attention to what happened to Sedgwick, Sedgwick's column yeah. formation. Well, it's like anyone who's who's read the book before they've seen the movie, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I, I, I do that with my own students right now. The ones I, I'm teaching this year, I'll, I, show the, I show them something on the Battle of Saratoga. We were doing the Revolutionary War, right? Um, and I might show them a little bit uh, uh, of Gettysburg movie. I'm not going to spend the whole time on it, though. For one thing, I'm being paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they want what I have. They can go watch the movie somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, now are we are are we being naive to think that we can develop readers the way we were readers when we were young? What do you think? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I think though, it depends on the opportunities that parents choose for their children to be educated. Um, I mean, that's kind of why we're doing this whole Facebook page group, the whole group, the podcast. Um, we're going to be offering some more services because there's a lot of parents who really are um, discouraged by the, the system of education and looking for options. And, and I think that um, the whole classical education movement gives the, the best option Um not all classical schools are the same, um, no. and and not not all not all of them are great. Um, many of them and most of them are much better than than the public school options that are out there. Um, but not all public schools are terrible either. I mean, there's still some there's still some good ones. But I think I think this idea that um, that we can't create great readers um, because of the whole competition with um technology is is false but i think that Good. the parents have to be a lot more intentional um and a lot more um uh what's the word the, the parents need to educate themselves they need to read they need to set an example they need to read stories to their children they need to turn off the television limit it to an hour a day what or uh, one movie a week when my kids were little we did one movie a week, and that was it. Um, we read out loud to our children, and, and I think um, that's still available. Like, you just have to be a lot more intentional about it. And it doesn't have to be in a school. Um, it, it, for example, um, uh, both my wife's family and now my family um, usually read uh, Dickens' Christmas Carol mm -hmm. out loud at Christmas. Um, there's a wonderful Elizabeth Googe book called "I Saw Three Ships." <laughs> I love I, I love Elizabeth Googe. I saw that you posted about that Christmas book, and I just ordered it. I'm it's one of the few by her that I don't own, which is shocking because I have a whole shelf dedicated to her. <laughs> and 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 school can meet um, the ambient culture. I now mean the healthy parts of it. For example, religious services. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, where the, where scripture is read. Okay, so so um, this this is a real experience in my firstborn son uh, in, in his life. Uh, we, oh, and we do. And they should recite poetry, by the way. That's um, right. So, mm -hmm. so we force them to learn poetry. <laughs> it worked better with some and worse with others. But anyway, he he did the um, um, uh, the one of the about the destruction of the host of Sennacherib. The Assyrian came mm -hmm. down like a wolf on the fold, and his cohorts were <laughs> gleaming in purple and gold. That one. Um, 
so that was that was in the poetry we chose. It's a good poem, classic poem, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and then at that time we were able to go to daily mass. So one day in that period we went to daily mass, and lo and behold, in the um, in the uh, uh, one of the books of Kings, um, the destruction of Sennacherib's army of the Assyrian army was the Old Testament reading, you know. And when we walked out uh, of mass, I turned to him and said. Isn't that wonderful? It's one world. It's it's a whole. The parts fit together. You know, this, here you heard it in church. There it was by an English poet. You know, isn't it wonderful to feel in a world? That's and right. I think he did. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, so, and about what the parents can do, by the way, though, uh, probably the very first thing is indulge their their desire to read. Right. It's worth it. You're not so busy. Yeah. This, this is one of the important things to do. Um, read, re-read, re read things you loved. Um, That's right. Uh, you don't have to be a, uh, I don't know, sort of brutally a, a disciplinarian on yourself. Read, mm -hmm. read something that you wanted to do again, that you really liked. Um, That's right. You know, I saw somebody post on Facebook today something about, it was a really great quote, and it was about... Um, reading aloud to your children so that they will become better at literacy, which is totally true. I mean, there's yes. data and there's science to prove this. And I made the comment back and I said, well, my husband and I still read stories out loud to each other because we're always trying to improve our literacy. <laughs> you never stop. <laughs> you should never, ever stop trying to improve your own literacy. There's so much to learn and there's still so many vocabulary words that I come across that I, and I'm pretty well read. But there are still many words I come across I've never heard of. Um, so you, know, you, you, you just never, never stop. Acquire, right. You never acquire the whole English vocabulary. It's just right. not possible. English is a wonderful language, by the mm -hmm. way. It's one of the richest languages in the world, partly because it's kind of a pirate language. It's, mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it steals everybody's goods. It's true. Um, but it has a very big vocabulary. People like to sing the praises of Latin. Latin has its virtues. But um, its vocabulary is impoverished compared to English or Greek. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the richest language. Um, uh, it's kind of a streamlined language. Uh, 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 I compare it to river stones, uh, smoothed down by centuries of use in law, liturgy, mm -hmm. and elsewhere. Greek, on the other hand, is like granite. It's crunchy and, and shiny. <laughs> And English too. English, English is like that too. Coming back to English for a moment. Um, uh, now, folks may not agree with me about this, but we were talking about the liberal arts. The three liberal arts, by tradition, are grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Mm -hmm. um, how to teach those, and especially with um, uh, children. Mm -hmm. um, my my own view is. With the exception of grammar, which can be taught um, in a combination of sentence diagramming and um, a study of a foreign language, particularly Latin or Greek, um, or German. A German's very good for grammar, too. French, forget it. <laughs> but anyway, with a, a language with a marked syntax is is a great way to understand grammar but you probably ought to do it after you've done uh, some english grammar and sentence diagramming i find many many people who did sentence diagramming when they were younger saying i loved it mm -hmm. it was like a puzzle 
solving thing that I enjoyed. The other thing is, however, not everybody's like that. And so, um, well, um, try to at least pay attention to how the sentence makes sense. Um, what right. would it mean if I pulled an adjective out? Uh, and by the way, that word there is called an adjective. Mm -hmm. Now, rhetoric, um, um, frankly, I don't think there's anybody's curriculum that ever teaches rhetoric. I know there were some in colonial times, and, and, there, and there are books by some of the Romans on it. But mm. rhetoric, rhetoric is practice makes perfect for me. That's what I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. um, give a speech. Get, do a set up a debate um, uh, and related to rhetoric is reading out loud that's right that's um, right you don't just read to your children you have them read to you yes um, and reciting by the time my firstborn son was oh I don't know about 12 I think he was <laughs> able to recite from the Lattimore translation almost all of the 23rd book of the odyssey <laughs> that's the death of the suitors mm -hmm. i tell you that's really stirring to have a somewhat spirited son standing up there and describing that fabulous bloodbath <laughs> mm -hmm. you don't want to make your education too too um oh I, don't, I hate to use the word this way but feminine you got to allow boys to be boys and spirited girls to be spirited too mm -hmm. i i, I th there's 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 an awful lot of uh, maybe temptation to be too tender um, when the thing is is run by mothers. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good observation. And Adrian, uh, I think I've I've shared this with you before, but um, you know, uh, in in my very short uh, teaching experience thus far, you know, I've been one of a few male teachers, uh, especially at these at these lower grades. And it, it is, I can't tell you how many uh, female teachers have come up to me and, and just uh, talked about the importance of having uh, males in the classroom um, and having, um, you know, an environment in which, um, in which you have, um, you know, men uh, being men, right, <laughs> and modeling that for, for the children, uh, both, both boys and girls. And so there's a lot we could say that. that um, I wonder if we could if we could uh, go back to our conversation about eating, because this is something that's near and dear to um, our hearts. And we, we would like to see not only um, more people reading in general, but we'd like to see teachers reading. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> it seems to me that there seems to uh, there seems to be a lack of reading on the teacher's part. And the teacher yeah. is. Uh, really, the model uh, first and foremost uh, outside of the home of the the person reading well, and so there's the question of um, it seems to me that there are three things, and there's perhaps more, but one is okay. Well, what should we read? How should we read it? And also, um, uh, oh, I had a third one. What was it? Uh, why should we read it? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, um, oftentimes, what we see uh, in, in in uh, parents and teachers looking for resources, they're like, well, if you can just give me a book list, right? Well, that, that's a starting place, but there's also the question of, well, why are you gonna read those books and at what time and with what right. people, right? With, with what human beings in front of you, uh, would it be appropriate to read those things? And so perhaps you can just sort of riff on that idea a little bit of, yeah. um, of, of the importance of reading with those questions in mind. 
Um, let, let me take it um, in my strong suit, which is uh, American history, mm-hmm. um, or, or maybe history generally. So, of course, there's there are age uh, questions. Um, uh, and I am not... I'm not much of an expert on what they should be reading before the age of about 10. Um, but um, the old landmark books for um, uh-huh. history yep. generally and American history in particular, you know, some of those were written by people like Robert Penn Warren and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. really a McKinley Cantor, people who were prize winning authors. Um, and they're very good and they're, mm-hmm. and they're, they're moving. Um, reading in history, um should be I, I, well I want to say pious by which I don't mean religious but civic piety they they they, they ought to be reading about heroes um and our and great accomplishments thing, things that will make them love their country and love themselves better as children of that country right uh not, that doesn't mean that some of them won't have conflict you know how are you going to ad- admire lincoln unless you see that slavery was wrong right so so the other characters will come in um uh, i'm staying with literature for a moment but i want to go to other things uh, quickly um i strongly recommend um stephen vincent benet the the uh, john brown's body um uh, is a is a like an epic poem for americans about the civil war um my grandfather gave me a copy when I was a boy. Um, or uh, The Devil and Daniel Webster. Mm. That's a great story. So, yet at the end of the day, it's profoundly pious. And, and Daniel Webster, when he, after he dies, is said to have come up from the grave and, and, and says, how fares the union? <laughs> you mm. know? So you see the good and the bad both in that mm. wonderful story. Um, uh, there's one with, is it by the waters of Babylon? That imagines New York City after a, a kind of a catastrophe. Um, that's a very good story for boys. The, the Indian, an Indian goes back and he discovers the, the civilization that we had. Uh, really fine story. But now to go to what they can read later, which is what I know much better, they can read the Declaration of Independence when right. they're, oh, I don't know, 10 or yep. Or eat well, but better when they're 10th grade, 13, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Now, when they do, you will immediately have a built in vocabulary. <laughs> um, how does the word denounce get used there? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what is a decent regard? <laughs> um, uh, and so forth. I um, have a friend who loves diagramming. And she diagrammed the whole, I think, first <laughs> sentence, the preamble. It's pretty yeah, yeah. incredible and beautiful. <laughs> yeah. They, now, they now they have more complex uh, sentence mm-hmm. structure, usually. Mm-hmm. Same thing's true for the, for the Constitution. Um, but you don't just have them read it. You have to go through it bit by bit. And therefore, you have to know something. And therefore, you should read. <laughs> um, uh, the, the prepared teacher is is uh, always better than the unprepared teacher. You can't just say, read this kid. And then and then he asks you, what exactly is impeachment? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you see. Um, and I find it's hard, even with good students. 
there are many, many things that they do not know. Um, uh, but what, but then, then in a way, what are we doing? We're teaching history. We wind up teaching etymology of words and mm -hmm. um, complexity of concepts on the yeah. side. So we're doing a bit of philosophy and a bit of uh, English uh, read, reading power uh, as well as understanding the document. And when they do, they feel they've accomplished something. It's it true. was gibberish before, and now it's not. Right. Yeah. Um, so interestingly, you're you're actually teaching all of the, the language arts, right, of, of logic, grammar, and rhetoric at the same time. And Adrian, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I was reading in, in Sister Miriam's book the other day, she puts it in that order, yeah. logic, grammar, rhetoric. Does she not? I believe she does. And even the ancients actually had grammar and rhetoric together. And then later mm -hmm. logic and dialectic came in. Really dialectic was more so than logic. And logic is more tied to math. And dialectic is more tied to um, the discussions. Yeah, mm -hmm. natural philosophy and and, uh, mm -hmm. and ethics and uh, mm -hmm. politics, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but um, uh, tell you the truth, I I would I would go. Well, logic should show up every time you have kids together, having conversation and they argue. That's <laughs> right. That's right. It doesn't logic. matter if they're three years old or fifteen years old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're that's just, right. They're just going to learn to get better at it as they get older. I would teach logic. I would not teach logic at all, except I would teach Euclid, mm -hmm. uh, and and ask. That's that's what Lincoln did, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. He was he was he he says so himself in some uh, autobiographical statement that he really wanted to understand what a conclusive argument was. So he read the first six books of Euclid mm -hmm. on his own. No one told him to. Um, and it, there's a book I just got a copy. A friend gave it to me, arguing that Lincoln's speeches can be understood by looking at the logic in Euclid. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Isn't it? Yes, it's now, fascinating. Now, um, again, so you're I showing be... us though this, I love that you said that because this is where I think the message of all learning is integrated yes. is super important. Yes. And, and people, we still want to categorize everything and compartmentalize the departments in the schools and this is something I think classical schools need to really, really think about hard when they're developing their school. If it's a brand new classical school or it's a school that's transitioning to classical, really be thinking about the integration of this of all of the learning. I'm a huge fan of humanities. In fact, I'm a huge fan of when you're in middle school, do not have a separate history in an English teacher. Have a humanities teacher and give them 100 minutes. There in their period so that they're teaching English and history together. It's, there's no reason to separate it. And consequently, if you read now, now in our history, um, I mentioned the two chief documents, right? Mm -hmm. But if you read the speeches of our statesmen, right. um, again, you cannot see what they're saying unless you slow down and unpack the logic. Right. Nor can you see how it how it moves you, unless you understand unless you look to the rhetoric, and the mm -hmm. way to get the rhetoric from a lot of people is to read the speech out loud, That's or right. even memorize parts of it. So we have them memorize the Gettysburg Address, we have them memorize the opening two paragraphs of the Declaration, and declaim it. You know, that's a checklist. They have to do that. Um, 
Yep, this is exactly what Quintilian says, everything you're saying. And uh, Quintilian's one of my favorites. And his uh, orations book, it's very, very accessible. And I really wish that I could get more teachers to read it. it it's not difficult. I yeah. I mean, I don't think it's difficult. It's it's rich. It's beautiful. It's not terribly dense. Um, right. And I think every teacher should at least read book one, two, and three of Quintilian's um, oration. It's it's beautiful, and it's exactly what you're saying. And and he ties grammar, dialectics, and rhetorics all into one way of teaching all of it. And it's exactly what you just said on speeches. It's perfect. In consequence of that, by the way, I myself think that I, I would put rhetoric um, at the end as, as crowning. That was the Renaissance attitude. Sure, um, sure. Uh, different people can do different things, right? Well, but, and uh, I, I think you're right, especially if you're going to teach the, the formal aspects of rhetoric. Yes, definitely. The formal, formal rhetoric as a subject, um, learning all the elements of it definitely is a high school matter right <laughs> or if or if you're going to do it inductively if you're going to look at the yeah uh, look, look at calvin coolidge's speech on, on the 150th anniversary of the declaration sure and notice his tricks notice right by the way uh if you um i gave a, a whole lecture on that last year uh and you can get to it at the thomas aquinas website if you poke around a bit the recording well the, uh, the text mm -hmm. and the actual delivery um you, you you cannot study the sufferings and triumphs of this wonderful republic and the way they are put to our fellow citizens by our statesmen without your heart being moved. I agree. Um, and oh, you, you're murdering the soul if you make history dry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and 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 and, and I, I, I and. I know there are other nations and other traditions and other customs, but every just as everyone should love his family first and know and live with those people first, uh, so you should know your country first and, and live with it first um, and know it first. Uh, it's not to say you shouldn't do other things too, but um, that should be the central thing. Mm -hmm. That's where the question of justice through action is most real to you, you know? This is the whole point of uh, yeah. Paideia. Yeah. The, the whole point of Paideia is, is to uh, learn how to love your fellow man, to live together in piety and, and respecting one another, but also knowing your country and loving your country is, is yep. all tied up in what the whole meaning of Paideia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Richard, to get back to a question you asked fairly early on about, um, you know, what it, do we have much hope in, in sort of yeah. restoring uh, this this way of reading? And and one observation that I think um, is is accurate is that people are we actually do a lot more writing, it, sort of in the very basic sense of like just producing words, right? Um, because of social media, right? Lots of posting, lots of texting, lots of, now, obviously we, we wouldn't call that writing um, in, except in the most basic sense. Yeah, yeah, but it uh, is basic. But people are doing a lot, of, a lot of writing and we're doing a lot of reading, a lot of um, um, really, I would say consuming um, yeah. of, of content, right? Consuming of content. And 
this this gets back to this question of well, how then should we read? Um, because yeah. let's let's say that okay now okay we've got our we've got our our reading list, um, we've got our our books uh, in front of us. Um, part of this is related to an attitude. You you talked about being pious, right? So that yeah. that's a posture and and and, and, an, and an attitude. But then there's also the, just the very technical sort of process of of reading itself, and what I think we can say is um, the habit of reading online and just consuming a lot of content rapidly and moving from thing to thing um, does um, sort of re um, well it changes your brain mm. and uh, it it does set you up um, to be in not a very great spot to then sit down and read um, in this sort of contemplative mode that you just described, or in this mode that is open to um, um, the depth uh, and richness of, of individual words that then turn into paragraphs that that have, um, you know, a gift there waiting for us to unpack. Uh, I heard a story about um, a young girl who uh, reported with great glee to her parents that she doesn't even read her school assignments because she can just look for uh, the key words or look for the, the answer to sort of uh, fill in the blank or to, or to you know, produce the answer that her teacher is looking for. It mm -hmm. seems to me to be just the opposite of, of, of what reading ought to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so <clears throat> I can tell then, you why yeah. that happens, Trey. It's because, yeah, I mean, I've worked with K-12 teachers for the last seven years in massive numbers of schools. I've worked with thousands of teachers and the reason mm -hmm. most of the teachers I work with are the school is a progressive school transitioning to classical. And one of the things that these teachers struggle with the most that they're taught in college for K-5 education is you teach them reading strategies. And a lot of mm -hmm. reading strategies is teaching them how to skim and highlight so they can take the test. It's not yeah. reading. Right. <laughs> it's just not reading. And it's yep. tragic, and it is rewiring the brains. And this is why we have a whole generation of children who are growing up that don't like to read, because they've you actually know, never read. There's another thing. A little, I, I, I want now. Maybe this is just my experience, but I, I, I want to say it's a little bit like what I was saying about rhetoric. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't mention the fact that I, that I had a sort of political career as well, but um, um, I think it comes later. You have to have something to say. You have to know something first before you can make your case. You have mm -hmm. to have some sense of logic and so on. Well, similarly, um, I now do more skimming than I ever have. That's because I already know how to read. Right. And I can distinguish the wheat from the chaff. And I'm actually on the lookout for something in particular, be be well, for various reasons. Um, uh, maybe it's an historical matter that I'm, I'm trying to find a particular point about. Maybe I want to be in an argument with somebody about current politics or whatever. Um, but um, skimming or that kind of reading strategy, strategy that's terrible uh, for, for younger people. Mm -hmm. um, and it's true that the habit is there or is formed that way. So what, what do you say? I mean, you want, you, uh, you, you, you want them to unfold the book in front of them with you in conversation and 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 bet most of all if something really nifty pops up you know if 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 you pay attention to the words in in a, in a shakespeare speech um 
and you can see, oh, that was cool. Um, yeah. uh, and, and that's going to affect the character he's speaking to. You know, that works. When he says that, it works with her, you know, that kind of thing. Now, that's for older students. But you, but you can even do that a little bit with um, some of the good ch children's stories. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and right. by the way, and enjoy it with them. <laughs> you know, say, oh, this is my favorite part here. <laughs> you know, it's coming. This is the best thing in Cat in the Hat. <laughs> mm -hmm. My daughter, mm -hmm. my daughter has uh, two sets of twins. Oh, um, <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah. Uh, as well as uh, five other kids. And, and uh, we had eight, she has nine. Um, and because I read Dr. Seuss, I enjoy calling them thing one and thing two <laughs> from the case. Yes. Of my hat. yes. Um, <laughs> uh, also, an well, another thing about reading, just have books in your house. Give each other yeah. books for birthdays and Christmas, and uh, yeah. Now you can also go to the library, but in a way, I'm looking Trey at your bookcase. I can just see it behind you there. Oh. Have you got me on video? You can't see me. I can't. You don't. That's all right. That's per no problem. Um, anyway, I'm looking at that. And if you did have me on video and I turned the screen a little, there would be one of about I don't know how many twelve bookcases mm -hmm. in the house. Um, uh, we're rich. We're rich. That's right. You know? That's right. We, never, we weren't yeah. all that rich all my life. We were pretty poor in some places times, but um, mm. but we're rich in books. Uh, now, yeah. one other thing about reading. It's almost the contrary of what we were saying. Some books are, well, I don't want, how do I want to put it? They're just delicious, and you don't have that much trouble reading them. And you take yeah. them, um, you, run, you, you go into your room and read them for fun. <laughs> You know, of a child, or get away from the rest of the family, and finish <laughs> Voyage of the Non Treader because it's way cool, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're just yeah. engrossed in it, right? And then, now, if those are good books, they also help you learn how to read. But, but, yeah. but it's, it is kind of important that you love reading, and so you got to give yourself some treats, <laughs> parents That's and right. students. Yeah, I, I loved how you were describing reading uh, Dr. Seuss. Uh, because I think it taps into the truth that uh, children, and Dr. Seuss knew this, and of course, Dr. Seuss uh, uh, certainly read a lot of Mother Goose. Uh, and children um, have, they can delight in words. And they will, it yes. seems to me, continue to delight in words if they see uh, people around them whom they love delighting in words. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, I'll tell you just a very brief anecdote of this that I, I think is is funny. Hopefully, the listeners will find it funny as well. Um, <clears throat> my son, when he was about three, um, was always, and he still is, just coming up with these wild games and um, just ideas, uh, things that he wants his mother or I um, and now his siblings to participate in, right? And he, he came up with some off-the-wall idea, and, and mom was cooking dinner, and he ran into the kitchen and uh, said, Mom, will you do this and this and that? And she said uh, very casually, uh, well, that's tempting, but, and before she could even finish her sentence, he said, tempting but? What's a tempting but? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just strikes me that uh, the children at that age 
are, are hearing words sometime for the very first time. Right. And, <laughs> or they're seeing and, that they apply. Um, and, and uh, that too, yes, exactly. Uh, the, um, uh, there's a religious child, I'm not sure which family that was was in, um, who had you know, learned the, um, the Our Father, you know, so lead us not into temptation. And had, had had come across the notion of temptation in a religious sense. Um, and one time she's visiting her grandmother and um, and uh, her grandmother offers her a spoon of the cake batter. Um, and and the little girl says, "Oh, I'm not supposed to eat that." And the grandmother says, "Oh, come on, honey. you can you'll like it. It's really nice." And her eyes get really wide and she says, "You're." Tempting me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love That's that it. story. <laughs> mm. Well, it, you know, many, many, many uh, people have have commented on, you know, um, of, you know, the the importance of 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 rhyme and 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 mother goose and and these these stories that you know and some are, are nonsense rhymes yeah and yet and yet they 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 have this way of helping um or allowing you let's say to to de to delight in words and i do believe that in addition to um just putting yourself in touch with reality through experiences uh in nature and and just sort of getting out and and you know, putting yourself um, sort of uh, in contact with the world. Um, it, it seems to me that um, you know the, the the child who is raised on on Mother Goose and Dr. Seuss and Ogden Nash, among others. Oh, you mentioned um, Nash, yes. <laughs> who who also gets outside and has been out on an open body of water, and has um, even been out on an open body of water in the middle of a storm. That person is ready to read Homer. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Ogden Nash and temptation, do you know the sort of a kind of ode to duty? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, duty, why hast thou not the visage of a sweetie or of a cutie? That's the whole poem. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love Edward Lear's nonsense limericks. Yes. They're yes. hilarious. They're great for little kids. <laughs> and uh, and everyone should learn, every child should learn, uh, Twas Brillig and the Slithy Toe did gyre and gimble in the wave <laughs> from Lewis Carroll. Mm -hmm. should, th that's a good one. <laughs> Nonsense. By the way, that's a, you, now you, after you enjoy it, you can think about it and say, there's some way in which that sounds like it makes sense. Why right. is that? Right. And, that's great. And then great. you can say, oh, it has the sentence structure. Of the way we actually speak, I, I speak, speak. I think that word's a verb, and that's an adjective. Um, um, that's right. It's like Jabberwocky is like that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. You know, I realized we never um, finished talking about. We talked about. I think your question a while back, Trey, was describe the seven liberal arts and the oh, yeah. the useful arts, as Richard wants us to call it. Call mm -hmm. it. Did yeah. we ever finish that? No, um, I guess we didn't. I mean, we did go through all the seven liberal arts, yes. but um, um, we we uh, we didn't ask about uh, how uh, the well-educated human being who has strengthened his mind and opened his heart uh, to what he reaches through those arts 
is also prepared to be a good architect or mm-hmm. or a good nurse or 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 a good contractor even mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and um uh, i'm not sure how to persuade people of it i just want to say i've seen it i believe it <laughs> the, um, <That's laughs> for one true. thing you've learned how to deal with what you don't understand if you if you've learned the liberal arts That's you've learned right. ways to come to the next thing something like that the unknown thing um and and place it in a context and work on it and make it make sense you know that's what you learn to do very well in the in the seven mm-hmm. classical liberal arts mm-hmm. as well as in literature and history that you read uh and science um well those same things come up uh in um being an electrician um right i get this i don't get that um um and also a little caution about giving yourself a shock but anyway um uh, you, you face new things uh, uh, any physician will tell you that he does not work simply by routine he has to know how to think about this patient the one in front of me that's how he, any psychologist of course will tell you that um uh, and how in public to, office and how to interact so we're back to we're back to logic and rhetoric here mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. rhetoric teaches you how to be you know, civil discourse, how to have a respectful debate um, or how to have a beautiful conversation Yeah, and respect right. other people, meaning back going back to the purpose of education being basically how to love and be a good human being. Yep. Um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's pointing back to literally every job you have, no matter what it is, you need to learn how to love other people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can say that, um, you know, it, in my years uh, during and then right after college, before I, um, well, I, I went into the Army as a logistics officer, and I could tell some stories there, um, but I've worked a number of different um, manual labor jobs, um, one in which I was uh, doing um, insulation in attics. Uh, or oftentimes we would be putting down vapor barriers in people's basements. And so um, I was working with uh, a variety of people, um, some who were like the foreman who was a specialist sort of trained in that, in that, um, uh, in that, in that field uh, to know how to then tell us his, his workmen what and how to do things. Um, Some, uh, um, let's say uh, foreign workers who were uh, who spoke very little English, yeah. um, but uh, were there with us right in the, the thick of it. Um, and I can tell you that um, once sort of the, the conversations that needed to take place about what we were there to do, and once everyone was up to a level of skill to where they could do it without much guidance, um, the things we talked about uh, mm-hmm. pertained very little to the job at hand and had to do more with um, uh, the meaning of life, um, everything from what it means to be um, a good man. Um, I, I got married fairly early in life, um, and so at least by today's standards, and so a lot of men in their 30s when I was 21 years old would be asking me questions about being married, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
And so having conversations about uh, existential questions, having conversations about things that um, really can, can only best be handled by um, telling stories and, uh, and being able to draw from my liberal arts education. That didn't mean I was down there giving lectures on you know, Shakespeare, but at least I had that to draw from. Mm. And it just gave a richness to um, my my ability to think through these things that those men who were um, not educated in that way, um, but still wrestled with and 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 when they went home and laid their head on the pillow at night, thought about these deeply human questions. Yep. Well, you must remember this: a kiss is still a kiss, a sigh is still a sigh. The fundamental things remain as time goes by. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bogart in that movie was not a philosopher, <laughs> but he spoke the truth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Actually, that's the singer, isn't it? The uh, the piano player <coughs> in Casablanca. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, uh, it's a thing to warn parents against, I think, uh, that... Um, there are a lot of technical skills and things they might teach you in a business program that by the time you've gotten out and are in business have changed. Um, yes. And uh, every now and then the Wall Street Journal has an article praising liberal education for just that point, that the managers will say, actually, my best guy in the head of whatever department it is, um, he knew nothing about this industry when he came in. Um, that you can learn on the job, but you can't learn tact and, and, and you can't learn eloquence on the job. Um, uh, you have to have acquired that earlier. Well, maybe you can, but it's rare. Um, it's, it's much better to learn the central things first. Um, and they are tools. They are tools. Let's call them instruments or means. They are means and ends both. What's not to like? <laughs> They're useful and beautiful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the way everything we own should be, useful and beautiful. Mm -hmm. By the way, one, one other thing is, since I'm venting on all, all my opinions, you've kindly asked me to <laughs> do so. Um, uh, I'm not too keen on uh, a, a top-heavy view of natural science governing the uh, experience of, of nature. Um, I, I'm much more keen on having a vegetable garden or working on building a rock wall with your dad or um, um, ha having an activity that is, and, and then, well, and then you, you learn something about balance if you build a rock wall, right? You don't have to come in and say, no, we're going to have a test on this about the notion of center of gravity, which you read about last week, and so on. That's right. Ah, <clears throat> yeah, and observation, hypothesis, yeah. conclusion. I don't, yeah. I'm not big on that. <laughs> everybody has a everybody tr fish for trout. <clears throat> you know, yep, you know what right. you're trying to do. You make a move that doesn't work. You get tangled up. You learn. Yeah. Well, you're, by the you're way, you learn water. Great. Share uh, your stories about uh, your. Yeah, go, go. You've got lots of them. Just go. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm I'm in a very uh, special place in a, in a unique program that uh, thinks a lot about 
um, what boys need and education through those very means that you were describing. And so uh, one of the things that we had the boys do together, we go every Friday out to the, the farm uh, that belongs to the founders of the school. And um, oftentimes, um, you know, we ask them to do uh, rather simple chores. Um, and sometimes we have projects where we're, we're, we're building something that requires, you know, uh, instruction and, and, and them to follow uh, a blueprint or something. But uh, one day we just, we had some decking that um, just needed the nails removed, uh, just rusty nails that needed to be pulled out. So we, we just gave them a handful of uh, hammers of all different types uh, and some crowbars. And we didn't really give them a whole lot of instruction. Um, we just let them have at it. Now, as we were pulling nails, I was talking to the boys about certain things. I said, okay, you know, um, if, uh, if one of you steps on a nail, I need you to tell me immediately, especially if it doesn't start bleeding. Um, and so all of a sudden, you know, they're getting a, uh, you know, a, a biology lesson, let's say, uh, learning about um, the human body. <laughs> um, just because uh, one thing leads to another, right? Just thinking about what we're gonna need to do to get these nails out of these boards. Um, you know, of course, they're figuring out on their own, you know, leverage and how to use these tools. Um, and it doesn't require a whole lot of instruction, uh, really just a presence, and they can watch me do it, right? And in watching me do it, they can then apply what they're seeing. Um, saying things like, hey, boys, make sure all these nails get in that uh, wheelbarrow over there and that none of them are left in the grass. Um, because if, you know, a tractor tire comes through here, you know, that, that could be $500 yeah. damage, right? Yeah. And they're just taking these things in, right? Uh, it's, not, it's not really anything other than just a <coughs> conversation about the thing we're doing together. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's very, very true. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm a huge advocate for nature study being the primary science curriculum for K-5. Um, and by that, I mean um, children learning how to get away from the screen, the TV, yeah. <laughs> go outside and learn how to listen and use your five senses and like find a leaf. Let's go look at this leaf. What does it feel like? What, what are some adjectives you could use to describe what this leaf feels like, what it smells like? Draw the leaf in your nature book and let's add, let's measure the leaf and add numbers, you know, just learning how to do very close observation with your senses and learning how to use a ruler and measure, tying it all together into a little nature journal. Um, so that they actually learn how to start thinking like a scientist before they learn the formal sciences. My, my wife um, uh, has a little box, largish box, like a like a um, chest of drawers, maybe uh, outside. It's California, so we don't have to worry too much. <laughs> um, uh, and it's our it's the museum, and it has in it um, an owl's claw. Um, a little model of a of a um, a rocking horse oil pump. Um, things they things they found. Um, uh, we 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 picked up a fox that was by the side of the road, fresh freshly killed, 
we looked up on the internet how to uh, get a fox tied off of a fox. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so, so a lot of this can be um, adventitious. Mm -hmm. uh, follow, mm -hmm. follow your nose. Do uh, uh, you like that? Good. Oh, another thing you should do, though, as well as the where nature study tends to mean biological nature study, right? Although it could include geology. But um, astronomy. Ast astronomy, right, right. Yeah, right. go out and look at the stars. Yes. And, the, and the clouds and the, mm -hmm. yes, all of that. And, <clears throat> I'd and, rather uh, the kids learn about clouds from actually journaling them and tracking the weather than just from a textbook telling them yeah. the different kinds of clouds. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. Then with the stars, you know, you then, then you can learn mm -hmm. some of the myths. It's That's right. wonderful how everything connects to everything else. That's true. <laughs> and if, if, if the teacher has that feeling, <laughs> the students can get it. That's true. Richard, I wonder, since, since you're, uh, since you're um, well, you're, you're at a place um, where you can, you can confidently um, uh, lead with your opinions, and I think your opinions are, are, worth, are worth hearing and worth listening to. So I wonder if maybe you could, you could talk for a minute about... Um, something that uh, we are seeing uh, in development in the world of education. And that is, um, that is this, this use of, of virtual reality or the virtual classroom. Uh, I don't think it's at, at present uh, very good. And I rather doubt that it ever will be. Um, be are you a creationist or an evolutionist or both? Whatever you want to say to that. We have a certain nature that's that's connected with seeing and touching and smelling each other with mm -hmm. details mm -hmm. of facial um, uh, expression that do not come through on a video. Um, uh, well, and three-dimensionality in, in our uh, depth perception, in our sight, and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. Uh, I have taught uh, I, 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 um, uh, I've taught via Zoom, uh, well, um, I have um, a kidney transplant. Uh, my, um, that was right after the heart surgery. <laughs> Funny story there, the kidney surgeon is a woman. Wow, wonderful woman. Uh, she said, I am not going to have you die on my operating table. You must have this heart surgery first. <sighs> okay, so, um, wow. yeah, so I had the uh, uh, open heart surgery in December and March of the next year, I had the kidney transplant. My, my son gave me my firstborn. Wow. His kidney. Mm -hmm. um, why was I saying all that? I just moved myself anyway. Oh, I know. Uh, so with the COVID thing, uh, they didn't want me in the classroom because I'm immunocompromised. You mm. have to take <clears throat> immunosuppressants if you have an organ transplant, right? Right. So I did some Zoom classes. It was grossly inadequate. Now I realize you're going to wear goofy-looking space helmets or something, or goggles or whatever it is. I don't know what they'll do. I just don't believe it's ever going to be that good. Mm -hmm. um, besides, now they won't let you do this very much anymore. I have such a nice college. You get to be a human being there. Right. <laughs> uh, they won't let you do this in yeah. many other places. Um, yeah. But, you know, you can touch a student, the one next to you on the shoulder uh, mm -hmm. or after class and say that 
that was a really nice demonstration you did there. Or even, mm-hmm. you don't look well. Are are you, um, have you been sick? Or, yeah. And then <clears throat> you see them going in and out of the class. You walk with them to the next place. And I'm not thinking of homeschooling, but in a school situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of just dead set against it. <laughs> against yeah. it. Yeah, you know, I would say um, one of the things I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about, too, with regards to that is to the homeschooler. I know you have you homeschooled. You've got experience with teaching homeschoolers. And I homeschooled my children. Trey was homeschooled. So it's very dear to our heart. Um, And what I see is a lot of moms who feel, one, inadequate to homeschool. Yes. And number two they feel a real serious pressure that classical education has to have this intense rigor and they have to study all of these things so much and it it keeps them so busy that they feel so inadequate and so overwhelmed that some of them are turning towards doing classical education online because the nearest classical school is a mile, uh, you know an hour drive away I mean, talk to yeah. that talk to that mom who's feeling like, I want my kids to have a great education. I'm willing to compromise by doing a virtual thing with them so we can have more family time, which is great. But then at the same time, why aren't they just homeschooling? Like, talk to that mom. First of all, um, what kind of community do you live in? Mm. Some of you are in a community that has a lot of homeschoolers, whether you know it or not. Um, some uh, Homeschooling has different flavors, <laughs> but um, uh, the, the, the standard flavor is kind of more classical education, often with a strong religious overtone. Um, if, if the flavor of your friends, no, so network, Find, find out who these people are. Use your website, use your uh, your Facebook page, and discover mm-hmm. each other. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's a little story along those lines, right? Um, uh, we we started, and now my wife is a St. John's uh, alumna, and she and I are pretty self confident people. So we didn't think we needed anybody to tell us what to do. We just took off. Um. We did, however, talk, and we didn't know a lot of people doing it. This is 50 years, no, not 50, oh, 40 years ago, maybe, 35. Um, there weren't a lot of people doing it, but the, but but at, in the Thomas Aquinas network in, in our town, there were, or, or they began to be. Mm-hmm. My wife and Laura Burke was sort of led the charge, I guess, uh, um, and we worked with Laura on her curriculum some. Um, so, so. Yeah, you're on the phone all the time saying, "How's how, how'd that go for you?" <laughs> um, right. Uh, there are. How, how do I want to put it? Trust kindly other human beings. <laughs> Network. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Okay. And then when it gets a little bigger, you can have. We had homeschool assemblies. We called them. Um, I have a decent sized property that the younger kids anyway could play capture the flag or, or. Um, frisbee football or things like that um they would recite poetry show off what you've learned um to a group growing out of that networking and the homeschool assemblies 
we then found some of the mothers really rather liked having a small class. So, that, so one of them would say, I want to do catechism and just, you just drop over to my house. We were on our way to inventing a school, <laughs> mm. but, but we, we didn't go to a full school. Um, well, actually part of what came out of that in an indirect way was a school that I got Shanghai into being a board member for, but, um, in any event, men, human beings, we're social animals. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you're really on your own somewhere in South Dakota, uh, that's harder. That's mm -hmm. harder. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, how about this? Um, relax and trust God. Right. Your children learn. Children are little learning machines anyway. Uh, I, I, I had a child uh, who um, did not read until he was seven i had another one who read when he was three uh, the one who was seven um heard us reading out loud uh, the tolkien trilogy the, mm. and uh reading it to his two older brothers and he had a little bit of instruction in reading but he was like getting nowhere and and he, and he said i want to read that at he somehow started to read it, just started to read it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, maybe he asked help for it with the word here and there and so on and so forth, but it happened. Had another child who, who could who could never do school at all. He's got acute anxiety about authority and social situations. Um, uh, and he um, and he is dyslexic. Or as he would say, dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> this is the guy who reads Dostoevsky now. And um, there, there are two of his uh, siblings who know a smidgen of German, and I do too. We had a bilingual edition of Faust. And he's, Faust, that is not an easy book. He loves it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he looks over to the German and, and and then ask questions sometimes. German is some kinship with English, you know. Um, it's astonishing what they'll do. It's true. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah, my my one daughter, um, she didn't read well. She struggled a lot, and she didn't read well till she was about ten or eleven. Mm -hmm. And um, she is my child now, who loves Dostoevsky. <laughs> <laughs> and and she she one of her favorite books in tenth grade was Blaise Pascal. Or uh, sorry, Ponzes. The, the Ponzes. Yeah, that's one Pascal? of her favorite. One of her favorite books. She read it when she was in tenth grade. You'll talk with her, I bet. Mm -hmm. uh, on and off about the Pascal for years. Mm -hmm. My my, we we had a family reunion, <clears throat> and they all said, "Let's have a seminar on something." Now, yeah. now I have, <laughs> I have one who never went to school. Um. Uh. One who um, is excellent in school. I'm, I'm going the bottom up, right? Um, one who was, uh, well, I missed the very bottom. The very bottom was very good in school. Then, then, I, then I have one who was, oh, you know, you know those boys who bluff a lot? <laughs> you probably have some, right? <laughs> Trey, maybe. Um, uh, they always know the answer right away, and, and, they, and they tell it to you quick as lightning. Um, and what the, yeah. he keeps saying to him, what this soul needs is patience. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but anyway, yeah. 
um, um, he, he wound speaks, up speaks with really, a lot of authority and not a lot of knowledge. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, he matured in a better way intellectually. Uh, you know, you didn't create these children. <laughs> you mm -hmm. just got the job of shepherding them. You didn't make the sheep. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. One of the yeah, good things so about homeschooling. That... Sorry, go ahead. Trey. Well, um, no, please finish your thought. Well, one of the good things about homeschooling is you can see which child is learning reading slowly and you don't put him through a machine, you know, step, step, step. He's not military drill. Um, converse with him, do other things with him. And they, yeah. most of them will come along. Um, mm -hmm. I think finally all of them one way or another. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. sit next to them and read with them and you, you know, I, what I did with my daughter, and I've, I'm working with a bunch of children from my church right now, some of them who are delayed readers, and I read out loud to them and give them a copy of the same book, and they follow along, and I have them read a sentence every now and then, and they're coming along beautifully. Um, it's just a very organic, natural way of learning how to read, and like you said, it, you sit alongside them, you coach them, you live with them, you come alongside them, and they learn. Or, yeah. organic and natural you know mm -hmm. I, I told you i'm 73 so that means um in 1968 i'm 20 right mm -hmm. you are talking to an ex-hippie <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> organic and natural appeals to me to this day <laughs> uh, as applied to to, to, to so, so to speak having one life not one that's mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. something in school and something else Right after, mm -hmm. um, but the but the the whole the whole time you're well. In my case, I love to read and think and talk. You know, so that's in school, that's out of school, that's everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You you want to be an integrated human being, as they say, um, mm -hmm. um, and you want you want to help children to do that too. That's true. Do you know um, uh, any of Herman Hesse's novels, by the way, Siddhartha? Yeah. Um, Siddhartha, the glass bead game. That the glass bead uh, game. Have you read that? No, it's on my reading list for this next year because uh, Joshua Gibbs rec recommended it. Uh, something all teachers should read. I, I recommend it too. Um, mm. Well, there's an early work, um, a, a smaller one, which is quite dark, and it, it's called Beneath the Wheel. Unter dem Rad, I think, is what it is in German, um, and it's about damage done by schooling mm. um, by the by the yeah. uh, bureaucratic yeah. lockstep schooling that's another book i think yeah. teachers might want to read um i i was mad about hesse when i was young <laughs> um <laughs> yeah there's so much you live in a world of riches why should you waste your mind <laughs> or as dan quayle said a, a mind point. is a terrible thing to waste <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, it's true. Well, for those, for those yeah, parents who are who are, um, you know, uh, speaking of being tempted, you know, the the temptation that uh, I, I think one can fall prey to with this virtual reality offer uh, is, you know, is of course speaking to their their desire to give good things to their children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this seems like this this will sort of be a good fit because it's something that I can. 
um, it, it's, it's a pretty easy solution that also seemingly opens them up to a whole new world of, of quote unquote realities, let's say. Um, but what we're describing is being put back in contact with the real, right? Yeah. Uh, which is uh, precisely not the virtual. And I think that can be demonstrated in a number of ways. Um, the, one of the ways I've articulated it recently um, re uh, pertains to a study of bees. Uh, if, if I'm going to uh, take my students in a virtual classroom into a study of bees, I may even be able to shrink them down and put them in a beehive in virtual reality, right? Mm. Um, but of course, uh, you know, we're not, um, we're not uh, tasting the honey. And someone says, oh, well, we could bring some honey by and, and they can taste it while they're in the virtual reality headset. Okay, fine. Um, but you're, you're not, um, you're not, uh, is, is the bee gonna be able to sting you? Yeah. Right. If it can't sting yeah. you, then you're not studying bees. And my wife, I was telling her this 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 explanation. I was trying to figure out if it, if it if it was logical and if it if it made sense. And she said, "Well, um, one of the major things that you remove in virtual reality is the fear factor, right? Mm. Like if, if you if you're not overcoming a fear of bees, <laughs> right? While you're while you're while you're studying them, like." It, that's something that is missing that is part of your education yep. right um how you so it's 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 about the relationship you have with the bee or with the with the bees and all of that um is is either removed and or reduced and what you're really getting is you're not getting bees is you're getting information about bees which yeah. is not which is not a study of bees oh, um go ahead. right yeah. Well, and we take that back to our original question. What is the purpose of education? Yeah, well. Is it to gain knowledge? Largely, it or, is. I, I, I don't think we should underemphasize that. But, right. But then, but then I have a kind of passionate view of knowledge, to tell mm -hmm. you the truth. If, it, if you know it and it doesn't move you, you don't know it. <laughs> Something right. like that. But it seems... <laughs> To me, that it's important that, that the gaining of knowledge is just as important as the experience and the relationships in learning to order our loves. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that too. I mean, yeah. I, all through this interview, I've been associating the heart and the head and, mm -hmm. and love and truth. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, you have to care. Mm -hmm. You know, kids sometimes care about kind of gross things, by the way. Coming back to virtual bees. <laughs> <laughs> I, we we did this. We had um, we had bees. Uh, we didn't have to keep bees. Uh, this is my childhood house in in town, and we had uh, some pretty impressive uh, web spinner spiders. Hey, I don't know if your kids did this, but you, you ever get the uh, now who would win, a polar bear or a Bengal tiger, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> I, used to, I used to hear hours of that. I ate kids, you know, right. <laughs> So we wanted to know if a bee could like sting or defeat a spider, right? So you mm -hmm. could catch a bee in a jar and shake it and stun it a little bit and then throw it onto the spider web and see if the spider would take it out. <laughs> now there's mm -hmm. the, I don't know if you could do that in virtual reality, but you sure could do it in my side yard. <laughs> <laughs> so kids could be, a little cruel and gross too. That's part of growing up. That's true. 
We, well, we did that. And yeah, one, one can only one can only develop um, e even in doing that. And and I don't know what boy hasn't done something like that, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but even in doing that, um, you have a relationship with with the uh, with the bee and with the spider that is different than if you could just run the program over and yeah. over again. Yeah. That's right. You know, in virtual reality. That's right. Uh, hey, but you, you were saying you have to be afraid of being stung, right? Yeah, we were afraid yeah. of being stung. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm thinking um, we're going to wrap up with a with a final question, um, which is we have we have two questions that we let you choose between them. One is... Um, what book do you wish you would have would have read younger or earlier in your life? Or um, what's your uh, a favorite quote that you have that's that's meant a lot to you and why? Uh, um, I'll give it to you in Latin, and then I'll translate it. Um, it's from Virgil when he's looking. <laughs> <clears throat> when he's looking at the in Carthage at the bas relief that's on the wall, one of the walls that Dido's Dido is putting up, and it's Troy, um, and it has his friends and relatives um, in the war, people being killed, um, and he looks at it <clears throat> and he says, "Sunt lacrimae rerum." Et mortalia mentum tangent. And what that means is there are tears in human affairs and things doomed to die touch the heart. Wow. I cry a lot now that I'm older. Sunt lacrimae rerum. I've really enjoyed talking with you all. Thank you, Richard. This was a great time and we've, we're so blessed. And for those of us on um, the Facebook page, I, I hope that they are all blessed. I'm sure they will be. And we'll be watching for your words of wisdom on the Facebook page. Thank you, Richard. Okay. Thank Take you. care. Thank you so much for listening. We invite you to experience the art of teaching through interactive learning communities at our Patreon page. Visit patreon.com forward slash classical education. Also, be sure to join the conversation on our Facebook community at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash classical education. We are a listener-supported podcast, so your support makes this podcast possible. As the great artist and educator John Ruskin once wrote, Well, my friends... The final result of the education I want you to give your children will be, in a few words, this. They will know what it is to see the sky. They will know what it is to breathe it. And they will know, best of all, what it is to behave under it, as in the presence of a Father who is in heaven. <laughs>